Let me give you a heads up that uh, we are continuing in the book of Genesis this morning. And uh, uh, Sophia Baez is going to be our scripture reader this, reader this morning. And so I need to give you parents a warning that this message is PG-13 because of the content that's involved. Uh, and so if you have younger kids that don't normally go to King's Kids or Children's Church, they're welcome. To, today might be a good day to do that. Uh, I'm not going to show any graphic images or anything like that or try to be unnecessarily uh, crude. But the subject matter in chapters 33 and 34 are definitely of a more uh, PG-13 content. How are you doing this morning, Sophia? <laughs> you get to read it this morning. Okay. So we are going to cover chapters 33 and 34, but we're not going to read all of it right now with Sophia. Um, but we will cover it all verse by verse as we kind of do a flyover. All right. So. You can follow along in your own Bible or up on the screen as Sophia reads for us this morning. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him. <laughs> Thus he urged him, and he took it. Okay. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, we believe this is your word. And even though this is a difficult subject matter, Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, give us open minds and hearts. Lord, prepare us for what we need to know and to learn so that we could be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Back in 2001, Dan Leach uh, was involved sexually with a young lady. They weren't necessarily in a committed relationship. Uh, she became pregnant. He, in his very selfish, evil way of living, decided he didn't want to be a dad. He didn't want to support this girl who wanted to have the baby and not have an abortion. So he strangled her, and he used latex gloves to do it. And then he hung her to make it look like a suicide. And he got away with it. Nobody caught him. The detectives were totally uh, bought into the whole scenario that this was a suicide. 
and there was no further investigation. Uh, approximately a year and a half later passed, and Dan was invited to go see The Passion of the Christ in theaters. He saw what Jesus Christ did for his sins, for his murder. He became a Christian and accepted Christ as Savior. He started receiving some discipleship, and he confessed to the person who was discipling him that he had murdered this girl, and he was advised to go confess his sin and his crime to the police, which he did. You talk about an amazing conversion. You know, some people say they've been saved, but there seems like there's no repentance. And, you know, when you're guilty of murder and you're willing to put yourself in life in prison, which is, he ended up getting 75 years. The jury gave him no mercy because of his confession, which I find kind of ironic. I mean, not that he shouldn't have got, I think they thought they'd give him mercy since they didn't give him life for the death penalty. They thought 75 years was merciful, and maybe it was. But he totally embraced that he deserved because Christ had paid for all of his sins. And the, uh, even though he apologized to the family because he said, now that I know Christ, I can uh, own my sin and all that stuff. The family said, we hope you burn in hell. They show no forgiveness whatsoever. So today we're going to talk about uh, a crime that's very serious. And yet we see in Jacob's life, much like this young man right here, a total transformation. Up until this, not time, up until this point, Jacob has been putting it nicely, a jerk. <laughs> he's done a lot of dumb things. He's, he's got multiple wives. He's disobeying on God on many levels. And in this chapter here, we're going to see kind of how this ends. Remember, he deceived his brother to steal the birthright. He took advantage of his brother's weakness anyway. And he deceived his dad later to get the blessing. He's deceived Laban, who was his father-in-law. He's just been a trickster, and he's been living up his name, which is what Jacob means. And so it's kind of so we're going to divide this chapter. We're going to cover 30, chapter 33 quickly with four quick points. The first one is Jacob's new approach, how he'll have a totally changed conversion now. Esau's new attitude. Remember, Esau is his brother who he tricked. And the last time he saw Esau, he said, I'm going to kill that guy. And so he ran. He fled to another land. Now he's on his way back to meet his brother. And then the third one is the brother's new direction. They're both going to go in different directions. And the fourth point, Jacob's new life. So in chapter 33, Esau is coming, but the scouts have returned and said, hey, he's coming with 400 men. This is not good news. 400 means the number of judgment. He thinks, oh man, I am in trouble. And he, but because he had that encounter of wrestling with God the night before, he's willing to embrace it. And we'll see how that worked out here in just a little bit. But um, So he divides the family up. And remember, his thinking was, well, if Esau attacks this half of the family, then this half of the family will run away, and vice versa. So he's got a, a plan in place for it. And he, he put the servants with their children in front. At first, that's what he did. He's kind of using them as human shields. And then is Leah with her children. Why Leah first? Because she's the second favorite wife. And then Rachel, his favorite wife with Joseph, his favorite son, he puts them last near him. Kind of being real courageous there, isn't he, right? And so, but he himself, this is where it changed now. He after he had done all that, he said, no, I'm going to go to the front of the pack. And so he himself went before them. And what is he doing this time? He's bowing himself. And how many times does he bow? Seven times. What's the number seven mean in the Bible? Completeness. He is completely humbled now. He's wrestled with God. Remember, now he's physically disabled. His hip socket was knocked out of joint when wrestling with God. 
And if you want to know more about that story, you're going to hear it online. Um, but he is walking with a limp. He's not only been hurt physically, he's been broken spiritually. And that explains his humble spirit. He's got a totally new approach right now. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the Daniel Leach who murdered his girlfriend, the Jacob or whoever, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let me ask you a question. And I, I really want to get direct real early in the message here. If you profess to be a Christian, do you have a day and a time when you were converted, when you became a new creation, when you were, as Jesus calls it, born again? The Bible clearly talks about a conversion experience. Christianity is not something you're born into and that you are converted. You're, God has no grandchildren. You're not born a Christian. You must choose a day and time where you repent of your sins and realize you need a Savior, that we all need that, and that you embrace Christ as not only your Savior, but your Lord. You give your life to Him because He gave His life to you. Do you remember that happening? Do you have that day and time? And then question number two, since that point in time, are you new? Are you, are the, is old things passing away? Are things becoming new? Do you see a progressive level of sanctification, to put it in theological terms? I know so many people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, at Vacation Bible School, when I was 11, I prayed the prayer. And I'm, and, but there's nothing different about their life whatsoever. They are living no different than the person who is a total unbeliever next door to them. They don't talk any better. They don't work any harder. They're no more honest. And in many cases, they're worse. We saw a change in Jacob here. Since he wrestled the angel and he realized, oh, wow, this is my God. Now he's, he's behaving differently. Instead of putting everybody to the front of the pack, he's going to the front of the pack. Instead of being cocky and proud and manipulating, he's humble himself and he's bowing down. Has there been a true change? Jesus said it this way. He said, why do you even bother to call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? I'm really, uh, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just cautious. When people say they're a Christian, but their lives shows no difference. That's not my words. That's Jesus' word. He's like, why, would you, why do you even call me Lord if you're not going to do the things I tell you? There needs to be a correlation between conversion and obedience. If there's little obedience, there's probably not been a conversion. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. You don't have to obey to become a Christian. You need to believe to become a Christian, but if it truly happens, you will obey. You notice that God brought the children of Israel out of bondage and saved them. Then what? Gave them the Ten Commandments. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments and say, now if you obey these, I'll let you out of, of slavery. He brought them out, then gave them the commandments. God brings you out of your sin. And says, now that you're a new creation in Christ, do what I say. Keep my commandments. Is there a correlation between your obedience and, and the salvation experience? So Esau even has a new attitude. I don't really know why. We have no evidence to show that he became a believer. But evidently he's gotten over his brother. Maybe it's just because God has changed his heart. It says Esau didn't just meet him. He didn't try to kill him. He ran to meet him. And he embraced him. You see, and Esau taking the initiative. Esau was the one that got ripped off. And yet he runs to meet his brother. And I wonder if just for a second, Jacob's like, 
oh, here he comes. <laughs> and he's running at me. He's like, no, he looks like he dropped his sword and he's running at me. And he embraces him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him and he wept. And they wept. They wept together. Does this story sound familiar? Does this sound like the prodigal, the, uh, the prodigal son and his dad? In, remember what Jesus taught this in Luke 15, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, and all of history for that matter. The father saw his prodigal son and felt compassion. He ran, embraced, and kissed. There's those three words again. I wonder if Jesus is drawing from Genesis to tell this story about forgiveness. And here the father forgives his son who squandered all of his inheritance. He went out and lived a life with prostitutes and sinners, and he totally wasted everything. He found himself face down, feeding pigs and eating pigs' food, and realized, I need to go back to my father. And he did. And how did his father receive him? With a tongue lashing? Man, you, where did all that money go? How could you do this to your mother and I? How could you not? Why can't you be like your brother? No, he simply ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. And that's how Jacob teaches, treats the brother that ripped him off. So Esau says, oh, it starts the small talk. So who's all these people? Tell me about your family here. And so Jacob said, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. You remember just a couple of chapters ago, Jacob was talking about, this is what I worked for. And this is what I did. And all these things, talking about how all that he amassed his wealth in spite of Laban ripping, ripping him off. But now he's saying, this is all the family that God has blessed me with. His heart attitude has definitely, definitely changed. And so all the children are bowing down, showing uh, uh, honor. And this is an honor-shame culture. It's an Eastern culture where they bow down. People to this day still do that. So Leah, he presents her. She bows down. And Joseph and Rachel, and they also bow down. And you see all this family here uh, showing humility that Jacob's leading. He said, well, what do you mean by all this company? Because remember last week, he sent out wave after wave, seven different types of livestock in the dozens and even in the hundreds as gifts to appease Esau. He's like, well, what, what is all this about? What's the grand show? What's all the parade of animals about? He said, well, I did all this to find favor, which is also translated grace. Grace and grace is when some, someone gives you something you don't deserve. He said, you know, I, you deserve to kill me, but I was hoping that somehow Somehow you could be gracious to me and find, and I would find this grace or favor in your sight. See, this is what religious people do they, to approach God, to impress Him with gifts of good works. And they try to earn grace. True biblical Christianity is different than any other religion in the world. All the religions, study them. I, I have some, I'm not an expert in, I don't have a degree in other world religions, but I've studied them enough to know they are all about, here's what you do, and then God will do this for you. You do this, keep the five tenets of the Quran or the seven teachings of Buddha or Hinduism or whatever one you pick. They all have their list. Do this, this, and this, and then God will accept you. The Bible teaches that there's none righteous, not even one. That here's 10 commandments, and guess what? You pretty much blew them all. <laughs> and, and you can't. So guess what? Here's what I'm going to do. You deserve punishment, but I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to punish my son, Jesus, who's going to step up and volunteer to go to the cross and take the punishment of all you sinners upon himself, the one who did no sin, who did nothing wrong. He's going to trade places with you, and he's going to take your cross. That's where biblical Christianity is uniquely different. 
I grew up in a Christian denomination that taught me, you keep the Ten Commandments, be a good little boy, Gary, you'll go to heaven. Not true. That's nowhere in the Bible. What we see is the opposite. When a sinner comes to God, from the Bible's perspective, all that he needs is need. You just need to say, God, I need you. I need you. I, I am nothing without you. I, am, I deserve punishment without you. I, all, I have nothing to bring. We used to sing the song growing up about the old rugged cross. And it said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's it. You stand before God and you say, all I, all I have is what Jesus did on the cross for me. When Jesus died on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. In Greek, it's one word, totalistai. It means paid in full. You know, you, you, we used to, in old days, used to take a red ink pad and stamp on a bill, paid in full. And that's what Jesus did on the cross with red ink from his blood. He said, paid in full. The debt has been paid. So what do you need to do to be saved? Nothing. You simply, you, what do you do to make a gift yours? You receive it. You don't work for it. You don't buy it. You simply receive what Christ has done for you. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Just trusting. And this is not your own doing. All the other religions say, you do this. This is your doing. The Bible says, no, it's not. It's a gift. Everybody say gift. Gift is the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. You know, people will say, well, that's just your interpretation of the Bible. I'm like, what? How else can you interpret this? And yet, why do so many Christian denominations say, well, you got to get baptized. You got to keep Ten Commandments. You got to give to the poor. You can't do this. You can't do this. And yet, here it is in black and white that, that we simply need to trust in what Christ has done on the cross. All that you need is to bring your need. But most people, without the help of God, will not do this. That's, that was me. That was you before you were saved. We don't think we're in need because of pride. I've got this. I'm not as bad as them. And pride keeps us from realizing that we truly have a need. So Esau said, I, I have enough, brother. <laughs> keep what you have for yourself. Now, keep in mind that in this culture, receiving gifts was important because to refuse a gift means you're an enemy. And to receive a gift means you're a friend. And at first, he's being, maybe he's being polite, or maybe he's not. I don't know, but eventually he will. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, if you really have forgiven me, please accept my presence from my hand. And notice that how it's changed now. See, Ephesians 2.10, the verse right after what I just read from about not being works, it says, for we are his workmanship. We, Christians, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, watch this, for good works, not because of good works. We, are, we become born again, created in Christ Jesus, and then we do the good works. But religion switches it. Do the good works, and you become a Christian, and you go to heaven. The Bible says, no, you can't do that. Become a Christian so that you can have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to do the good works. And these are good works that God prepared beforehand, before you got saved, that we should walk in them. He says, "For look at this, I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. So see what's happening here? First, he... Before he wrestled with the angel, he's like, send out gifts so he'll accept me. And now he's saying, but because now you've accepted me, would you please take my gifts? He's got the grace first, the work second, where before he had it backwards. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough 
Thus, he urged him, and he did take it, which is sealing that, hey, we're friends again. We're no longer enemies. So that brings us to the next point, the brother's new direction. And Esau said, hey, let us journey our way, and I'll, I'll go ahead of you. I have my army here. I'll go in front of you. I'll make sure there's no trouble because traveling in those days, you came upon thieves, you came all kinds of problems. And so he's, he's offering to do this for him. But Jacob's going to go backwards. Again, he's not perfect, obviously. Jacob says, oh, my Lord. And he's flipped the roles here. Because remember, God's prophecy was the, the, the younger would be served by the older, but he keeps calling Esau his servant and his Lord. And it doesn't mean Lord, capital L, means like as in sir, as in one in authority. He said, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herds uh, are, are a care or a concern to me. If they are driven hard one day, they will all, all the flocks will die. He's kind of making up excuses here. He says, let my Lord pass on ahead of a servant and we'll lead on slowly. In other words, if we get far behind, don't worry about it. Just keep moving. And at the, the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, I'll just keep up with the animals and won't push them too hard. And at the pace of the children, because, you know, the kids are little, they can't walk so fast. So, yeah, just go ahead and go back to where you go to where you're going. He's going to the, t- the town of Sarah. And he, so Esau said, okay, let me leave you with some people here. Instead of taking all 400 men, why don't I leave maybe 100 with you? And, and, and he said, oh, no, no, what need is there? Let me just find favor in your, in, my, in your sight, my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And was Esau, I mean, was Jacob really being honest with him? He's like, you know, you go on to Seir, I'll catch up with you. That's actually not what happened at all. You see, if you look at the map here, and again, I apologize, it's kind of small. Seir is, um, is south, and so Esau is heading south, but Jacob goes west to Shechem, and he doesn't go there at all. In fact, there's no evidence in the Bible or even in history that Jacob ever saw Esau again. He's like, yeah, you're just going ahead and go ahead, we'll catch up with you, and he didn't. He wasn't being honest. He's, he's reverting back to his sinful ways, which brings us to the last point of chapter 33, Jacob's new life. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house. First mention of a house in the Bible. These were Bedouins, so they lived in tents and mobile. But now he actually builds a house and he builds booths, which really means barns for his livestock. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Shechem is named after the son of Hamor. So the this, this son is not named after the city. The, the, the dad honored the city or honored his son by naming the city after him. So you'll see a city named Shechem and a, a young man named Shechem which is the land of Canaan. Remember, Canaan is the promised land, but there are uh, Canaanites living there on his way from Padam Aram, and he camped before the city. This sounds very similar to Lot. Remember Lot and Abraham, they were overlapping with cattle and, and their, their employees weren't getting along. And so Abraham's like, hey, there's a lot of land out here. Why don't you pick which direction you go and I'll go the opposite. And Lot says, hey, I think I'll go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. I won't actually live in Sodom and Gomorrah. I didn't know there was a lot of money there, but there's also a lot of evil people there. So I'm just going to live in front of the city. Of course, we know what ended up having Lot. He lived near the city. He got to the gate of the city. Next thing you know, he's in the city. Next thing you know, the city is being destroyed. <clears throat> and this is, this is Jacob doing the same thing. Shechem is not a good place. These people treat women harshly. They brutalize them. They sexually mistreat them. They burn babies alive to sacrifice to their gods of Moloch and Balaam. These are wicked, wicked people, but there's money there. So Jacob's, well, I won't go in the city. I'll just kind of set up my tent outside the city. And he follows in the same path as Lot. And from the sons of, ha- and from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought, he bought this part of land outside the city. 
And there he erected an altar and he called it El Elehoi Israel, the mighty God of Israel. So he's it's like being deceiving one minute and religious the next. You know, it's kind of kind of crazy here. Jacob is definitely a mixed bag. One minute he's doing something spiritual, and next thing he's doing something ungodly, but aren't we all? <laughs> I get disappointed in myself often. I feel like one minute I'm like, oh God, I love you so much. And man, I'm getting so much out of my Bible study and my prayer life. I feel so connected to God. And the next day I feel like, man, I, I'm just acting like any other idiot. You know, and we just have ups and downs. Get used to it. I've been a Christian. This August will make 50 years I've been a Christian. I got born again when I was nine years old. I'll, and you can do the math. And so, but I'm amazed at how much I still struggle. Now, I... Praise God, by His grace, I feel like I struggle less now than I did then. So the trajectory of my life is like this. So from here to here, I've improved a lot, but there's been a lot of ups and downs in between. And that's just the Christian life. And what ends up happening is we start doing good, we start doing good, and guess what kicks in? Pride. I'm actually a pretty good Christian, aren't I? And what happens? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so we, we, we have our ups and downs because, not because God is inconsistent, it's because we are. And that's just a constant reminder that we need Him every day and every hour of the day. <clears throat> so now we're going to move into the next chapter. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. I had, a, I'll say a relative, I'll just say it that way. Someone in my family, she was only 12 years old. This is a long time ago. And her and her 12-year-old friend, this is back in the day when you walked miles, you just kind of walked everywhere. And we brag about those days as if it was cool, but a lot of bad things happened because parents let their kids walk a long ways. And so this 12-year-old girl and her friend walked down to downtown where we lived to buy some things at the store, and they're walking back. And of course, by this time, it's dark, and two men jump them and sexually assault them. Up until this point, this girl made straight A's and was no problem in school. She went home, she told her mother about what had happened to her. And her mom said, don't tell your dad. It will destroy him. And the old school way of doing it, you just don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. And that's a lot for a little girl to not talk about. I know things in many ways get worse and worse and worse, but one of the things that we do do better now is we at least talk about these things. We get people help. We get them counseling. Where the old school way was you just kind of didn't talk about these things. Well, this devastated this young lady's life. She went from being a straight-A student to be the worst student, to getting kicked out of school, to living in a group home, to being sexually assaulted in the group home, and then finally joining the military, which kind of got her straightened out some. And then a couple years out of the military, she found Jesus Christ. And she put her life back together. She still struggled in many, many ways, especially with alcohol, and eventually died of, of complications of the liver. Sexual assault is serious. It's a big deal. And in many cultures, even today, in our so-called civilized society where we're supposed to have evolved, sexual assault is on the increase, not on the decrease. Child pornography is on the increase, not on the decrease. We're not evolving any better, okay? We're getting worse. We're getting worse. And, and our, even our government is involved in all the cover of it because many of them are involved. I mean, just read about the Jeffrey Epstein story. You're not, there's no investigation, and he killed himself because probably a big chunk of our government visited Epstein Island. That, that's documented. 
because we're a perverted, perverted society. We, the new God of our country, when we say in God we trust, what we really mean is in sexual perversion, we trust. We have put sex at the top of everything. It dictates everything we do and all that we are and how we identify. It's no longer about God. It's about what makes us feel good. And if, I, if someone takes advantage of a little 12-year-old girl for their pleasure, that's okay. And in some countries, that's the legal age of consent, which is crazy. And there's pressure in America to lower that level, to lower that age. We're just heading in exactly the wrong direction. So we're, we're talking about a serious subject here. So this chapter, we're going to divide it into four categories. Dinah is defiled. Hamor's reckless response, and he's not the only one responding inappropriately. The sons scheme revenge, and then the slaughter of Shechem. So Dinah, we're, we don't know exactly how old she is, but she's a very young girl. She has 11 brothers. She's the only girl at this point. Jacob would later have more daughters, but she's one of... Uh, uh, 12 kids, all brothers. So she's kind of eager for female friendship. So she decides to walk towards town to see the women of the land. She's not going out there looking for problems. She's looking out there for friendship. She's one to connect with women. Good for her. She's anywhere from 12 to 20 years old. We don't know exactly how old she is, but she is definitely a young, young lady. And so when Shechem, and this is not the city, but the son, the, the prince, of the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her. He seized her and he lay with her. Now, every time you see good sexual relationships, it says Adam knew Eve, showing that there's knowledge of an intimacy, that of mental, spiritual, and physical. But whenever you see inappropriate sex, it says they lay with someone. Okay? That's interesting. It's an important distinction there. So he didn't love her in a, in a romantic way. He just simply seized her and he humiliated her. He took away from her her virginity, which in those days was very valued and very treasured. In fact, to lose it inappropriately might mean you never ever get married because it was such a high value. It may have been disproportionately valued, but it was definitely important where today it doesn't seem to matter at all. And so let me make this perfectly clear. Shechem is 100% responsible for his horrible crime. She is not to be blamed at all or anything like that. Okay, she's a little girl. Okay, he's totally responsible. So when people used to say old school, well, well they kind of had it coming or they asked for it by the way they dressed, all those things, that's just wrong and inappropriate. But Jacob and Leah should have protected her better. Not, mistake number one is you're going to live near a wicked city. Rape in this culture was expected. Any girl walking around by herself any man felt like, well, if she's going to do that, I'm going to take advantage of it. And it was very common, and there was no punishment amongst the Hivites for this. It was just something that was normal, and it was absolutely horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Jacob and Leah shouldn't be letting a young teenage girl walk around the city by herself. The parents need to protect our kids. Tell you what, if this had been my daughter, I would have been furious. But you know what? You're going to see Jacob has a very, very bizarre reaction. It says that his soul was drawn to Dinah. Don't read that as romantic. It means he's obsessed with her. He's totally obsessed with her in an unhealthy, emotional way. And it says, and he loved her, and it's putting in the context of what they called love. Today we say, love is love, and all that means is sex is sex. Love in the Bible means I give what's best for the other person. I sacrifice what I want for the good of the other person. But today's culture is, it just, it's really, listen, any love song on the radio, 
And I guarantee you, 70% of the songs on the radio are about one-night stands with people they don't know. And that's what we let our kids listen to. And we wonder why it's a change in behavior. And the Bible talk, and, the, and the, these songs talk about love. And all it means, you can just insert the word sex in there for it's the same thing. So he's loving her in the lust sense of the word. And then he spoke tenderly to her. He's sweet talking to her. So after all this happens, maybe before, during, and after, he's sweet talking her while he's violating her. Very, just a horrible situation. It's, it's sick and psychopathic. So he spoke to his father, Hamar, and he says, get this girl for my wife. There's no please. There's no respectful talk to his dad. He sounds, if you know the, the story of Samson, Samson said the exact same words about Delilah. Get her for me. Just bossing his parents around. This is obviously a spoiled brat young man who gets what he wants and can demand his dad do this for him. Now, it was normal for fathers to arrange to together and arrange the marriage, but the way he's talking here, the language, Moses, the way he writes this, is trying to show that this guy gets what he wants. So now Jacob heard that he, he had defiled his daughter, D Dinah, but his sons weren't with him. They were in the livestock with livestock on the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Anybody have a problem with Jacob right now? What? You find out your daughter gets raped and you're going to keep quiet about it because you don't have your sons to back you up? How about having a spine here, Jacob? He waited till they came in. Now, there's a chiastic structure in here that kind of tells us what the main point here. And for those of you new to revolution, chiastic structure is the way in Hebrew, when they told the story, instead of saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this is the way it happened, they tell the beginning, which matches the end. And then the second part matches the second to the last, and it works its way, and then the main point is in the middle of the story. So watch this. Um, so it talks about Dinah, the daughter, and how she went out. But then it talks about, at the end of the story, Dinah, the daughter, and how the brothers came in. See, you go into the story, you come out of the story, but they flip it there. And then it says, Shechem humiliated her, and Shechem defiled her. Okay, And then as you work your way in the story, then it says, that his soul was drawn to Dinah. In other words, he's obsessed with her. And he's so obsessed, he tells his dad, get her for me. And then the core of the story, of the, this beginning passage is he loved the young woman. He spoke tenderly to her. The main point Moses wants you to get here is that men can sweet talk. They can say all they want to do. But in the end, it's their actions that matter. He could say all they wanted to, but he showed who he truly was the, the, the uh, evil man that he was but by his actions, and even though he thinks he can sweet-talk his way out of this. So Hamar, the dad, has a very reckless response. He's the father, that father's arranged the marriage, and he went out to speak to Jacob, trying to arrange his marriage here. And this is like so bizarre. Again, the Bible is not prescribing this. It's only describing what's happened. In fact, we'll talk about that more in a second, how the Bible is very much against this. This was their culture, and God is going against their culture. And so um, he went to speak to them, and the sons of Jacob had come in from the field. And watch this. Look how different their response is than Jacob. And as soon as they heard of it, the men were indignant and very angry. They have a reaction. Jacob's like stone-faced, not reacting. And, but they're like, boom, they're ready to act. And they, weren't, they were indignant, which is what in their heart, very angry, showing their facial expression, because he had done this outrageous thing. Rape was considered outrageous to the Jews. To the rest of the world, it was normal. It was just what you did. There's parts of the world today where people travel to because they, they traffic children. And the growing number of people on this planet, 26 million plus people, are sex slaves 
all around our country, mostly children and mostly girls, and it's just considered normal. And yet we're not horrified by it at all. We don't seem to be doing much about it. And it says, this thing must not be done. They had a, a sense of godliness and a standard here. Deuteronomy 22, which was written later, but Moses is the one who wrote this. This is what, how they addressed it under the law. It says, if in an open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, or she's engaged, and the man sees her and lies with her, then only the man lay with her, she'll die. And you say, well, why would, you? I mean, that's, duh, that's kind of like a no-brainer that only the man should die. Do you know in many cultures that's not the case? We'll talk about that more in a second. But it made it very clear that she has nothing to do with this crime. It's all his fault. He's the only one that's going to die. This young girl right here, Aisha Ibrahim Duhulo, back in 2008, she was 13 years old. There was a civil war going on in Somalia. The Muslims were invading the south. And uh, three Muslim soldiers saw uh, Aisha walking by herself. She was 13 years old. They gang raped her. She went and told authorities about it. They said, under Muslim law, you have to have so many witnesses. You don't have those witnesses, but by your own testimony, you committed adultery, and they stoned her. This is in the 21st century, and she's not the only one. This is happening around the world in Muslim countries, where victims of rape come forth, they testify, but if they can't prove that it was an actual rape, and again, the standards are super high, they end up stoning the female for being raped. It makes zero sense. So since we're on this difficult subject of rape, let me talk about this. And I, I, I don't like talking about this, but I think we need to cover these things. Um, atheists and skeptics love to twist this next verse in Deuteronomy. And, you know, I would be an atheist because they look so happy and pleasant. But anyway, um, that's one of the more famous ones right there. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, 28. This is the one atheists bring up all the time. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, keep note of those key words, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father, the young woman, 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has violated her, and he may not divorce her all his days. And people are going to say, look at that. The Bible is saying that if a guy rapes a girl, then they have to get married. And this is not what it's saying at all. Um, it's, the translation here should say this way. The Hebrew word, he, Hebrew to English sometimes is difficult. And if they had translated what it really should say, if a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and he seduces her and he lies with her and they, because this is a mutual consensual relationship, if they are found, we're not going to stone them. They just should get married. And it's, it's not talking about rape at all. So when people say, oh, the Bible says if someone rapes someone, they can turn around and marry them. That's not what it's talking about. They're just not reading the Bible carefully at all. They don't know how to translate the Bible properly. Back to the story. So Hamar, the father of Shechem, spoke with them. Now he's speaking to the brothers because he knows they're the ones that have the power in the situation. He said, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. He's, he's obsessed is what he is. And, and please give her to her to wife. Now watch what they do. They overreact. They, re they, they have righteous indignation, but they're going to overreact. And let us make marriages with your daughters. In fact, let's make this, here's two nations living side by side. And so that we avoid war, what we're going to do is we'll give our daughters to you. You give your daughters to us. We'll marry. And so then nobody wants to attack and kill your grandchildren. This, this happens in different parts of the world and it's happened all throughout history. And so 
That, that's the whole purpose of intermarrying. You ever wonder why King Solomon had hundreds and hundreds of wives? It was all based on treaties with all the surrounding nations so that people wouldn't attack him because they didn't want to attack your grandkids. And he said, you shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you and you'll dwell and you'll trade in it and you'll get property. So now the whole thing has gone from this one young guy's lust to let's make money. It's all about money. See how the words will back it up here in a minute. Um, so Shechem also said to her father, so now the dad speaks to the brothers, but Shechem talks to Jacob and says, and to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. <laughs> let, you know, be gracious to me, the rapist, and whatever you say to me, I will give. He's willing to pay whatever price for a, a little girl because he's perverted and obsessed. So ask me for a great bride price. In other words, let's forget that she's raped. I'll give you the full price of a virgin, which is 50 pieces of silver, which is 18 months of salary. Think about how much you make in a year and a half. This is how much he's willing to pay for this young girl. This is how obsessed he is. And whatever you say, he said, only, just only thing I want right now is give her to me to be my wife. When you say, if only I had this, I'd be happy, you've just identified your idol. If only I could get this promotion at work, then I'd be happy. If only I can marry him, then I would be happy. If only I could have a house in that neighborhood, then I'd be happy. That's the idol you're worshiping. And right now, his idol is, is Dinah. He wants, he's everything, he's willing to give away a year and a half salary just to marry this, this young lady. So the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and, and Hamar deceitfully. They said one thing with their mouths, but they had another plan in their minds. They, and they did this deceitfully because of what they did to her sister. So they have the honor and respect and love and care for their sister, but they're fixing to do something wrong in return. So there's another chiasm here in this part of the story. We have the, the Hamar and Shechem at the beginning and the end of the story. Then we've got the sons of Jacob in the, you know, in the second and the second to the last levels. And then we've got Shechem gives her to be his wife. Uh, um, that's what he's asking for. And then also the same request. And as we work our way into the middle, the main part of the middle is, Make marriages with us, dwell with us. Make marriages with us and dwell with us. You become one of us. These people do not fear God. They don't worship God. They mistreat women and children. And they're like, hey, why don't you just become one with us? It's, it's an invitation based on, on money. So that's what's at the center of all this. The world is always going to entice you. Hey, come join us. Come join us. Have you ever noticed that people don't want to smoke pot or drink, or do coke, or heroin by themselves? Very rarely. They're all like, hey, come on, here, try it. Here, try it. Come on, come on, come on, let's try it. Just once, just once. Isn't it interesting how the ungodly want to add you to their behavior? Sinful people want company. They want it to entice you. Hey, come on, try it, try it. I guarantee you, if I had a show of hands, how many of you started smoking because friends, many hands would go up, okay, of those who, who have smoked. And you could just name your sin, and it's like sin is enticing others to do it. it because it, there's a lot of different reasons, but maybe it appeases guilt. People feel less guilty because they do it with others. There's all kinds of things. I had a brother-in-law who lived in California, made six figures, was a very successful businessman, was doing super well. And then one Friday, when they all got their sales uh, commission bonuses, man, they had killed it. And one of his friends said, hey, let's go out and celebrate. So they went to a bar. And the guy says, hey, have you ever tried crack? And he's like, no, I haven't. And of course, well, I don't know my drugs very well. Is crack the crystal one? What's the one you do the lines? Coke. There's coke and crack, right? 
cocaine, powdered cocaine. Okay, so you all know more drugs about than I do. Just kidding. Um, anyway, the one where you do the lines, you snort the lines. And this guy said, hey, let's, let's snort some, some co coke. And he said, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't do that. I don't, I don't do drugs or whatever. I, I just only drink alcohol socially. And he's like, no, but just try it once. Just try it. And, you know, the peer pressure, push, push, push. And these are guys that are in their 30s. And he's pushing them like they're a 14-year-old teen asking them to smoke you know, Marlboro or something. And he, he said, okay, once. He was hooked from then on. He lost his marriage. He lost his job. He lost his house. He ended up on the streets. To this day, I don't know where the guy is. Just because he tried it once. And that's what sin does. Hey, let's do this. Come on, let's go in together. Let's be, we'll have a great time. 2 Corinthians 6 says, what, what agreement does the temple of God, which is what you are, have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk in them. See, God went from living in a building in a token sense to living inside of you to living in your heart. And he goes on to say, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. We're supposed to be distinct, unique, and different than the world around us. We are supposed to be in a situation where people will probably make fun of you because you don't talk this way or don't this. Now, please uh, forgive my tone if I sound condescending. I'm not trying to. None of us are any better than anybody else without the grace of God. We are all just as sinful and capable of many things that they could do, in fact, in many ways worse. But by the grace of God, we should be different. We should talk different than the world. We should dress different than the world. We should act different in the world. I'm not trying to creep into legalism where we're going to have a list of rules of how you should behave. You have the Holy Spirit for that. The Holy Spirit can tell you when it's right and wrong. And, and the scripture obviously will tell you too. And so we are to be different. We're supposed to come out from among them and be separate, to be distinct is what the word means here. So the sons, they, they're saying one thing with their lips to Shechem and Hamor, but they're scheming revenge. And they said to them, we, we, we can't do that. We can't give you our daughter. There's no way, okay? In sales, this is what's called a takeaway. If those of you in sales, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's where you, when someone's not sure if they want to buy something, you take them and say, you know what, you probably can't afford this anyway. Maybe you should go look somewhere else. And they're like, no, 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 I can. And they start wanting it. So they take this away and they're like, no, we can't do this. To give our sister to someone who's uncircumcised. Now, this has more to do than with a biological procedure for a newborn baby. This means you're not believers. You don't have the sign of the covenant in your body, which is what circumcision was. You haven't embraced our God. You have no circumcision. We're, we're not letting our daughter marry, our, our sister marry someone like that. That would be a disgrace to us. We can't do this. And so they're playing the religion card all of a sudden, but that's, they're not really being religious here. So and then they're like, okay, well, only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are. Every male among you will be circumcised. For an eight-day-old baby, that's not that big of a problem. For a grown man, that's a, that's a big problem. It's, it's, it's very uncomfortable, but nobody experienced. But anyway, then we will give our daughters to you if you do this, and we will take your daughters to ourselves. Again, they're not meaning any of this. And we will dwell with you, and we'll become one people. That's what they wanted, but that's, they're just talking now. But if you won't listen to us, then, you know, and here they're trying to take it away and be circumcised. We're just going to take our daughter, and we're going to go away. We're going to take our ball and go home. And so. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And watch this. And the young man did not delay to do the thing. Boom, went out and got circumcised right away. Okay? He's so obsessed with this girl that he'll do 
literally anything, no matter how painful it might be. Because he delighted, and the word delighted means, again, he's obsessed with Jacob's daughter, and he was the most honored of all his father's house. Does that sound familiar? Remember, Jacob has eventually have 12 sons. Who's his favorite? Joseph. How did that do with all the other brothers? Well, Hamor's got the same situation. He's got many sons, but Shechem's the most honored. And so this, Moses is given like a preview of what's going to happen later in Genesis. So Hamor and his son and Shechem, they came to the gate, which is like city hall of their city, and spoke to the men of their city saying, these men are at peace with us. You know, we've got this growing crowd out here sharing territory with us. We're afraid of a war, but no, they're saying, hey, no, we want to be at peace with you. They want to trade and land. Notice what comes first. It's all about the money. Oh, and by the way, we're going to marry their daughters. They're going to marry ours and all that stuff. We'll become one people and only on one condition. We've all got to get circumcised. So all the men of the city are going to do this, which is crazy because of one young man's sexual obsession. He said, man, guess what? Our lo- their livestock will be ours. Their property will be ours. Their beasts will be ours. Man, we got to do this. We got to dwell together. And every man was circumcised. This is crazy. Again, another chiastic structure. It talks about uncircumcision and circumcision. Then it goes on to talk about the conditions and the daughters and becoming one people on the front end and on the back end. And then it talks about Hamor and Shechem. There you see the sandwich being made. And at the exact middle of the sandwich, you see, and the young man did not delay, and he was the most honored. He, hadn't, he didn't know what delayed gratification was. He, he just does whatever, gets him what he wants because he's the spoiled brat of the family. And at the very center, it says, because he was obsessed, if you will, with Jacob's daughter. Think about this. A whole city of men gets circumcised because of one young man's sexual obsession. Say, so, man, how could that happen? How could a whole culture change because of one sexual obsession? Uh, do you know what month we're in? We're having to call people what they want to be called, and you might go to jail now if you don't call them by their pronouns. This is like the type of legislation that's already in place in Canada, and they're trying to put it here. Just because you think you're a woman, and I can see you're a man, you, I have to call you she and her? You just see like a whole culture flipped upside down because people's sexual obsessions? It used to be that the homosexual crowd say, stay out of our bedroom. And now it's like, hey, hey, here's our bedroom. You better endorse it. You better embrace it. We give it one day to President's Day, one day to Independence Day. We give a whole month to sexual perversion. Things are flipped upside down. They're just flipped upside down. And people say, no, no, this is, this is the new science here. It's proven that genetically people are this way. If that's true, if it's genetically spread evenly, why is it less than 0.0004% of Asians are transgender? Why in the Asian culture, this is like, what are y'all talking about? And why is it that white men transition to being female at eight times the rate of any other ethnic group? Why is it white men? You know, why is it that three years ago when one female black rapper put on the cover of her album a lesbian type pose, that lesbian, lesbianism amongst black females spiked sixfold? It's because we're following what we see. This has nothing to do with genetics, okay? I'm not saying that some people don't have gender confusion, but you know what the, the London Medical Science Bureau figured out? That it lasts for a phase, and 97% of them outgrow it. The other 3% do become homosexual. 
but they go through this phase. Anyway, I, I could go on and on about this, but I won't. Now, some people would just say, because what you just said, you're, you're transphobic, you're homophobic, you're a bigot, you're a hater. It's not true. I love those people. I treat them with respect. I don't call them names, which is kind of the opposite of what happens. But I do not and don't make me agree with their lifestyle. I'm going to stick to God's word. God has this done for a reason. And this is what the Bible is saying here. And here, So whether it's a sexually perverted heterosexual male like Shechem or any other sexual perversion, it's all wrong. It's all sinful. And so all this is changing because of one young man's desire. So Dinah was defiled. Hamor just turns it into a business transaction. Well, hey, let's just buy your daughter like she's some type of prostitute or something. And then the sons scheme revenge and then they're going to carry it out and they're going to slaughter Shechem. So on the third day, we see that phrase a lot, don't we? Man, a ton of things happen on the third day in the Bible for a reason. I've preached on it before. On the third day, all the men are sore. And just two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, they took their sword. And while all these men are on their beds recovering, they go through and they kill all the men. The Bible's not prescribing this. This is wrong. It's only describing what happens. And it, the Bible even shows you the negative consequences of their deeds. So they, they even killed Hamar, the king, and Shechem, the prince, and the sword, and they took Dinah out of Shechem's house, and they went away. Two guys took care of all this. And then the other sons, the nine plus other brothers, they come in and they plunder the city because and again, they think they're justified because they defiled their sister. You see what happened here? Here's a rape, which is a horrible crime, that turns into the murder of all the men in the city and stealing. It's, things are getting out of control. And so they took all their wealth. They even kidnapped their children and their wives. You see how this is just cycling, spiraling out of, out of control. The problem, this is the problem of revenge. You say something bad about me, so I'm going to say something bad about you. So how do I know if I put on a scale that what you said about me from 1 to 100 is a 68.7, how do I know that I'm going to hit it exactly over? I'm not going to say a 74. Or maybe I'm going to fall short and only do a 57. You know, How do I know that's exactly right? That my revenge is going to be exactly right with what you've done? I don't. There's no way. Romans 12 says, Beloved Christians, you never avenge yourselves. You just don't do it. But leave it to the wrath of God because God wrote in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine. It belongs to God. So think about this. When you get revenge on someone, you say something back, you hit back, you whatever your reaction is, you're taking something that belongs to God, taking it out of his hands and saying, I'm going to do this. And God says, no, no, that belongs to me. I'll repay. Because guess how God repays? Exactly. He makes sure that, that there's, he is a God of justice. He pay, repays it exactly right. He gives them what, exactly what they deserve. But here's the twist. God, in his revenge on someone, will use it to bring repentance for them. And that's when we like, oh, you mean God's going to love them, forgive them? Yes. He will let the negative consequence of their behavior turn things around. We all know people who have gone to prison, and they deserve to go to prison, but while in prison, found Jesus Christ. So God can use those circumstances to work for good. Um, so then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought this trouble on me. Oh, so now you speak of Jacob? Your daughter gets raped and you're sitting back silent. But now all of a sudden that they've caused trouble, you're, up, you're ticked at your sons. 
just crazy how Jacob's acting here. He said, my numbers are few. In my army, basically what I, number of men I could arm are few. And if they gather themselves against me, they will attack me and I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. See who he puts first? He's like, hey, you know, all these women, they might get killed. All these children might get killed. No, no, I might get killed. Oh yeah, and everybody else too. You can see Jacob's wrong priorities in this situation. In Genesis 35, later, Reuben will sleep with his father, Jacob's concubine. That, that, this was a pagan tradition, and he's acting like the culture around him, of saying, hey, my dad's old, I'm taking over here, and he starts sleeping with the women in his harem, which again is, is a wrong situation. And then later in Genesis 49, the two sons that went out and killed all these guys, when Jacob's passing out the blessing, he totally skips them. But they said, and this is where the chapter ends, they ask a really intriguing question. Hey, Dad, you think we did wrong? Do you think they should treat our sister like a prostitute? Women are not sex objects. That's what pornography does. And we've got a majority of men in America and teenage boys that are dabbling in pornography at least once a month. And let me tell you, all it does is makes you think that women are an object, not a person. You see their body and you don't see their soul. It is wrong. And that's why in our country, pornography, all these sexual perversions, all these bad things that are happening, rape, sexual assault, they're all on the rise because we are a culture that says, we don't need God, we need what makes us feel good. What will make me feel good this weekend? What will make me feel good right now? And really what we do is we treat one another like prostitutes. You give me what I want, I'll give you what I want, what I need, and we'll just exchange. It becomes all transactional. Shechem was totally selfish. Watch this here. He raped and humiliated Dinah. He said he loved her. He gets the order all wrong. Okay? He does he says all that after that. And he's willing to pay for her like she's he's buying a prostitute. And then he gets slaughtered and Dinah's left dishonored. And watch how Jesus Christ is the exact opposite. Jesus was totally unselfish. Jesus was slaughtered so that his church could be honored, not dishonored. He paid the ultimate price, not for like a prostitute, but for a cherished bride. And he proved, didn't just say he loved us, he proved he truly loved us, and he didn't force his love upon us. That's why he gives everybody free will to choose. He makes the ultimate sacrifice on the cross and then says, hey, but I'm not going to force my love on you. That's what rape is. It's forcing love on someone. Jesus doesn't do that. He's the total gentleman and totally unselfish in the way that he does it. And he does it totally opposite of Shechem. Romans 5.8 says that God shows or demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the way the world's going. It's going the way of Shechem. Jesus came in the world to show us a new way, that he was the way, that we are to live unselfishly. We're supposed to, unsacrifice, we're supposed to sacrifice for the good of others. We're supposed to treat women honorably. People say the Bible disparages women. <laughs> you read the Bible, it does nothing but lift women up. Who were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection? Women. Who were the first apostles? Women. We have books of the Bible. Esther and Ruth are named after women. And you see women... When all the disciples ran away like cowards, who stayed by the cross? Women. Why did the Bible tell you all those details? 
Because it was exalting women in a day when women were looked down upon and treated as objects. In Islam, today, you still can have four wives because women are considered property. Christianity says, no, no, you have one wife and you treat her like a queen. Jesus Christ came to uplift women, but he came to die for sinners. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Would you pray with me right now? If you know Christ and you've been saved from your own sinful past, would you just thank him right now for that? But if you don't know for sure that you've been truly saved and born again, let me just tell you that Jesus loves you more than anybody ever could or ever will. He took all of your sins, all the things of your shame and your guilt, and he put it on his own shoulders and bore the punishment in my place, in your place. And you can be totally forgiven today if you'll just accept him as your Lord, give your life to him because he gave his life for you. Father, this, uh, this story we've studied today is very uncomfortable. I'm, um, I'm thankful it's over. But we, we need to deal with hard issues. The Bible deals with hard issues and gives us the right answers. And these aren't answers that are politically correct. They're not popular in the world we live in today. But the truth is the truth. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, open our eyes, help us to be more like Christ. And I pray if there's one today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that even though they don't understand everything, they would give up control of their life and give it to the one who loves them and wants what's best for them. And that they would receive the gift of Christ's death on the cross. We thank you for all this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. If you want to know more about being a Christian, there's my number. Please call or text me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'll buy you lunch. We'll talk about Jesus. We'll answer all your questions. Uh, right now, we're going to do question and answer time, as promised. Let's see, who do I have to help me today? Um, my one, two, and three are all, Ashley's not in here either. So um, let's see. I can do it myself, I think. Let me just do that. I'll do it. I'll read the questions myself. Daisy, come on up here, Daisy. I'll let you read them. I like to have someone help because there's a reason for it. But Actually, I don't see any questions. There we go. Hold on. There we go. Here's the first question right here. <clears throat> You can use that mic right there. Is that okay, Matt? And some others might come in. Go ahead and text them to this number right here if you want. Or you can raise your hand if you'd rather do it that way. Did the angels know that what Jesus was doing and that he was going to die? That's a good question. In fact, this question was asked last week and we didn't have time to get to it. Um, so when Jesus is going through the whole thing, did the angels know? The reason I would say yes is because when Gabriel announced to Mary... He said that, you know, born to this day is a savior, Christ the Lord. Save him for what? And so I think the Bibles knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. I think they knew Psalm 22, that they would pierce my hands and my feet and my side. They'd gamble for my clothes. I think they knew all those details. So I don't think angels were ignorant of that. I do think they're amazed by it <laughs> uh, because God didn't do any plan of redemption for fallen angels, but he did for fallen man. Any other questions? No. Okay, cool. Um, Anybody have a question? Raise your hand. All right. Going once. All right, let's stand.